Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm so grateful we are in uh, uh, quickly approaching Easter. So we're starting Holy Week today, uh, and today is uh, known as Palm Sunday, and it's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and and all the folks were singing or saying "Hail Jesus" and "Hallelujah" and 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 uh, and praising Him as He entered into the city as He was a King. And, uh, and so today is the, the beginning of an amazing week uh, of ups and downs and an amazing week of drama, uh, an amazing week that leads to the cross on Friday and then eventually to the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So I hope that uh, I want to encourage you before we jump into the message just to spend time this week and in, in, intentionally spend time this week pausing, like just push the pause button and reflect on this, this week and reflect on where we're going, where we're heading this week. And think about even each day, there's just an an event that takes place in the life of Jesus, significant event that takes place. And just pause and think about that. Think about where Jesus is on that day of Holy Week and where the disciples are and the conversations that he's having or the things that he's doing and uh, leading up to the cross and pushing beyond the cross to the resurrection And as you do that, I want to encourage you to don't do it alone, but to invite others to join you on this journey as well. And each of your chairs has a Easter invite card. And I want to invite you to take that card with you. Don't leave it on the chair. Take it with you and invite somebody this week to come with you on Easter Sunday or on Saturday night for our Easter service on Saturday night. And, uh, and so you can take one from your chair, and then there's also plenty of extras out in the uh, lobby. Uh, take a few. Uh, if you're going out to eat today, take one of these cards with you. Leave it on your table with a tip. Do not leave it without a tip. Leave it with a tip uh, as you leave for your waiter or waitress. Um, take a few to take to your coworkers. Uh, or if you're planning on going to a restaurant later this week, take a couple to leave it there. If you have a business, take some with you and leave it on your counter of your business. But we want to invite folks to experience uh, Easter with us, Easter at Warehouse Church. And so I hope that you'll uh, use these. Uh, Everything they need to know is on this card, uh, including our link to our website. So I hope that you'll use these tools uh, to um, give people an opportunity to uh, also see Jesus bring dead things to life in their lives as well. And so I'm super excited about Easter. Please pray. Um, pray that, that God will show up in a mighty way on Easter Sunday and, uh, and, and Saturday night as well. And so um, I also want to say a word of thanks to everyone that helped out with our yard sale yesterday. So let's just give a hand to all those amazing folks that helped out. And I uh, especially want to say thank you to Brian Akers who, and Diane who helped lead uh, in our small group, who helped lead the charge of the food and then there's so many people that helped out with pricing and helped out in the yard sale yesterday and greeting people and welcoming people and inviting them back. And so uh, we had just a lot of people come through our doors uh, yesterday, a ton of people just walked through and they didn't stop in the warehouse. They came in, had a hot dog, uh, gave out a lot of tours of the of facility. People were like, wow, I never knew this place existed. Like, uh, this is really cool. This is neat. And so we got a great opportunity to rub shoulders with some people and to meet some people and to invite some people from our community back. And so it was great. And, uh, and if you missed out yesterday, you missed out on some amazing uh, conversations and opportunities. And so, um, 
So, but today we're going to continue our conversation in the book of Mark. And if you remember last week, uh, we looked at the woman who uh, broke open the perfume jar and she was all in and she showed everyone in the room that she was all in for Jesus. And uh, this week we're going to continue diving into that, uh, the the book of Mark. And uh, this week's passage is really a tragic story. It's a tragic story of betrayal. And, uh, and you don't have to be a deep theologian, and you don't have to even be a longtime Christian to know that Judas was the one that betrayed Jesus. Like many people, they may, you may not, never even darken the doors of a church, and you know about Judas. You know, and people, we call people that betray others, we call them Judas, uh, and his name has been known for that. And so today, we're going to take a look at Judas's story and this story of betrayal. And, and Judas was born, uh, believe it or not, of a faithful religious family uh, from Kiriath. And, uh, and his mom and his dad even named him after the strongest and most honorable of all the tribes, the tribe of Judah. And he was really a business savvy kind of guy. Uh, Judah, Judas was uh, good with money, and he had a gift for being a tightwad. I mean, he just knew how to acquire money and hold on to money. And, and, and he, was zeal- he was a zealous nationalist, and he was all in for, uh, for, for Israel and for moving forward and getting rid of Rome and, and being out from under the heels of Rome. And he was also, though, intrigued. He was intrigued by the ministry of John the Baptist. Like, we believe that is where he began to become even more intrigued with Jesus, as he heard John the Baptist preach about this person that was coming to be uh, the Lamb of God. And so, uh, so he's intrigued by John the Baptist, and then he meets Jesus. And we believe that he meets Jesus in Galilee at the beginning of Jesus' rise to stardom. Like we've talked about everywhere Jesus went, he drew a crowd. People were there. They wanted to see what Jesus was going to do next or hear uh, the teachings that he was going to share. And so Judas meets him in Galilee and he's drawn to his rising popularity and influence because Judas sees that Jesus could be the guy could be the guy, the Messiah, the one that's going to overthrow Rome and be the new king. And so one day, though, Jesus looks at Judas and commands him, just like he did the other 11 disciples, commands him to follow him. And Judas was so captivated by Jesus, and now uh, he's been asked to join the inner circle, right, of this powerful and very overwhelmingly popular rabbi. And, and this was what he had been waiting for all his life. Like he had been waiting for this person to show up. This is what kept him up at night. Uh, this person that was going to be the Messiah, this person that was going to bring Israel out of its funk and take care of Rome. And he's like, this has to be the Messiah. He's convinced of it. His lifelong hope for freedom from Roman oppression was uh, swelling on a wave of this powerful teacher and a mass of adoring fans that followed him everywhere. And then one day, during a particularly prickly uh, series of events with the Jewish leaders, Jesus says something very shocking. And he said in John chapter 6, verse 7, he says to the disciples, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is the devil? 
So Jesus makes this statement, this very bold statement that doesn't really get a lot of press, and, but it was stinging words. And, and, and one of the 12 is a devil, is what Jesus just said. And, but even as Jesus said this, I don't think Judas was very concerned. As a matter of fact, he was unconcerned that Jesus was talking about him. He may not even had a clue that this was who Jesus was directing this statement to, but Jesus knew what no one else knew in the crowd. He knew that Judas's heart was fueled with evil ambitions. And so his heart was bad. His heart was broken, but it wasn't obvious. It wasn't obvious to anyone. It was actually hidden from everyone. It was so secret that the other 11, they actually trusted Jesus, or Judas with all of their finances because they had one common purse. And so Judas was the guy that kept the coins. He's the one that kept the money and kept it straight and, and, and paid for the food and paid for all of their needs. And all the while, though, he was skimming from the top. He was stealing from their funds. The same guy that witnessed Jesus walk on the water, the same guy that saw Jesus heal every disease, the same guy that saw Jesus cast out demons, the same one that listened to Jesus teach with this amazing authority, and the same guy that raised Jairus' daughter from the dead and repeatedly make, made religious folk look like fools, the same one that witnessed Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after being in the tomb for four days. He was front and center, Judas was, for every, every unbelievable miracle. Yet despite all of this evidence, despite all of this stuff that was going on right in front of him, Judas's initial impressions of Jesus began to erode away. They began to weaken and you see, Judas' plan for Jesus was not Jesus' plan for Judas. Jesus was not giving Judas what he wanted. And what did Judas want? I think he wanted wealth and fame, and he maybe wanted comfort and power. But more than anything else, Judas wanted to see Rome overthrown. So Judas began to take matters into his own hands. Like he got impatient. He was tired of waiting for Jesus to rise up and that frustration turned to greed and that greed turned to rage and that rage eventually turned to betrayal. And you know what I think the final straw was? The final straw for Judas, I think it was what happened last week. That I think it was when the woman poured 80 grand worth of perfume on Jesus in an act of worship and Judas has had enough. He had had enough, like it was so wasteful. He's counting the dollars going down the tube with every ounce of perfume that was poured out on Jesus. And we saw at the end of the story that it forced him. It forced him to go to the religious leaders to betray Jesus. And now Judas is waiting for his opportunity. Like he's made the deal. He's gone to the religious leaders. He said, listen, I'm ready. I'm ready to betray Jesus. And now he's just waiting for the perfect opportunity. He's waiting for Jesus to be alone, away from the crowds. And that opportunity is now upon him in today's passage. 
in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus and his followers are celebrating the Passover meal alone. But two things are happening behind the scenes that we can't miss before we read the passage. And I want you to be aware of these two things. And the first thing is this, is that Judas didn't operate alone. Like Judas didn't operate alone. It wasn't a, 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 a single guy's operation. Luke 22.3 says that, when, that Satan entered Judas. That Judas wasn't just demon possessed, but that Judas was Satan possessed. That Satan was operating through his greediness and through his unbelief. And now some would say that, that Satan didn't, uh, did this because he wanted to kill Jesus. Like that would be what many people say, but I'm not so sure that Satan wanted Jesus to go to the cross. Like if you think about it, I think Satan wanted to keep Jesus away from the cross because he knew what the cross meant. Like Satan knew all the Old Testament prophecies. Satan knew what the scripture said. He knew that Jesus was meant to be the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. He knew that if Jesus died on the cross, that he would lose and that God would win. So maybe Satan didn't want Jesus dead, but God wanted Jesus to die for our sins. Satan wanted to stop it, and if he could get Judas to betray Jesus so that the Sanhedrin, this, this religious elite, would move fast, then maybe the crowd, maybe the crowd would rise up, and maybe the crowd would stop the crucifixion. You see, I don't think Satan had a desire to see Jesus on the cross. So Satan, so, so Satan is against the cross, and he moves into Judas. He possesses Judas. But even bigger than that, the second thing that we can't miss is this, that the cross was the plan of God. That the cross was the plan of God. That God the Father is the one that is orchestrating all the details of the cross. God is bringing about this event exactly according to his plan. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 tells us that the cross was the predetermined plan of God. That Jesus' death was not an accident. That it wasn't a revolution that had gone bad or failed. But that the cross was God's plan all along. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal because all the way through Jesus' final moments, you see the unseen hand of God working behind the scenes in every single detail. Now, we left off last week with the religious leaders. They were scheming, right, to arrest Jesus and to have him killed. And Judas would use their hatred for Jesus to uh, his economic advantage. And so he slips away from the other 11 to meet secretly with the chief priests in order to obtain the price for Jesus' life. And on Wednesday night, Judas makes arrangements to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, a few hundred dollars for the life of the perfect, righteous, holy, loving God-man named Jesus. Now it's Thursday, and here's where our story begins today. If you have your Bibles or you want to follow along in the Bible app, Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 12, and here's what Mark says on, as the beginning of the story. He says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Jesus, where do you want us to go 
and make preparations for you to eat the Passover. And so just think about this in context. It's Thursday of Holy Week, so it's going to happen in a few days from now. And preparations had to be made. Like they had to be made for the Passover meal because if you were a good Jew, you celebrated the Passover meal and that was coming up. And so there was things that had to be done. They needed a room, right? They needed a room to have the meal. They needed the furniture arranged in the right way so that everyone could sit around the table. They needed a lamb. They needed a lamb that they could take to the temple. And, and so there would be a line of people, just imagine it, a line of people with lambs that they would come and they would slay the lamb and drain the blood in the temple and then take the lamb back to be prepared for the Passover meal. But not only did they need a lamb, but they needed bread, right? They needed unleavened bread. They needed to gather the bitter herbs that would be had at the meal. They would need wine, and they would need, uh, they would need, would need to be gotten, and they need to make sauces that, that you would use and to dip the bread and to dip the lamb in. Uh, they needed all this stuff. So a lot of arrangements needed to be made, and the disciples knew this, and they're like, listen, Jesus, where do you want us to go and prepare for the meal? And not only that, but Jerusalem... Is crowded. Like there are people everywhere. We talked about this last week. People are gathering from everywhere to celebrate the Passover meal in Jerusalem. And so they need a place to go. And so the disciples simply asked Jesus, Where do you want us to go? Rabbi, where do you want, teacher, where should we go and prepare a meal for the Passover? And I think this is something that Judas was really like eagerly waiting for. Like Judas knew that this would be a time where the disciples would be alone. This would be a time, it would be the perfect time for Jesus to be arrested because it would be private, right? They would be in a private spot and there would only be Jesus and his 12 12 followers and a few other people there. And so it would be easy for Judas to go ahead and just tell the leaders, hey, we're gonna be here at this time. You can come and arrest Jesus. And it would be late at night. So no one would be on the streets. Everyone would be celebrating the Passover meal. It would be so easy for them to say, show up at this time, I'll unlock the door, I'll open the door, you come in, you take care of arresting Jesus, I'll get my cash and I'm out the door. But, but Jesus had a plan. Say that with me. Jesus had a plan. He knows what Judas is thinking, right? Like Jesus knew what Jesus was thinking. So in verse 12, when they asked, where do you want us to go? And he knows that Judas is leaning in and listening. And once he knows the location, it's game on for Judas. He's like, all I have to do now is tell him where to show up and we're done. He gets his cash. He makes a quick getaway. Jesus is arrested. Everything's taken care of. But check out what verse 13 through 15 says. It says, so he, being Jesus, sent two of his disciples. John's version tells us that he sent two of his trusted disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, say to the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us here. Now, Jesus is being really clever, and you'll miss it. Like, if you didn't know the backstory, or you didn't dig in a little bit, you'd miss this, because he carefully makes certain that Judas doesn't know ahead of time where the Passover meal is, because this is an important night for Jesus. This is a big deal for Jesus, because in this moment, 
And the night of the Last Supper, he'll transform the Passover meal into the Lord's table, where we now call communion. And it's also a time for him to give the disciples an important teaching on serving others and loving others. It's where he gives the new command, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. It's an important for this meal to happen so that forever, so that it will forever identify Jesus as the very Lamb of God and bring an end to the old sacrificial system. And so this is such an important meal. And verse 13 shows us the wisdom of Jesus and the foresight of God over every detail. And this is how Jesus did it. So if you're not following along, you didn't catch it, let me just unpack it for you. He sent two of his most trusted disciples. John says it was Peter and John. Sent two of his disciples ahead of them, and he tells them to go into the city, and a man carrying a a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Now, that's so sneaky because he tells him to go to Jerusalem where the feast has to take place. He tells him to look for a guy carrying a jar of water. Does he give him the guy's name? Nope. He says, just look for a guy carrying a jar of water. And, and, and this would have been so obvious because there only would have been one guy carrying a jar of water in that day because that was woman's work back in the day. Men didn't carry jars of water. That was what the women did. And so there wouldn't have been any men carrying the bottle, a jar of water. But that day there would be, and he would be easy to spot. And so Jesus tells him to go and find the guy carrying a jug of water. And verse 14 says, say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And so Jesus tells them, go find Mr. Water Jug and he will lead you to a house. And the owner of the house knows that Jesus knows Jesus as the teacher. And he says, this is better, and I think this is better than a spy novel, because they don't even say the name of Jesus. Like, he doesn't say, tell him Jesus sent you. He says, tell him the teacher sent you, in case someone might be listening nearby. And so, just follow the man with the jug of water, and he'll lead you to a house, and the owner will know that the teacher has sent them. And all this indicates that Jesus has prearranged this meeting place. And so they follow the water pitcher to the owner, and the result is in 15, where it says he'll show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, and make preparations for us there. And this is the famous upper room. This is where Jesus would celebrate Passover. This is where he'd institute the Lord's Supper. This is where he'll teach about serving and loving others. This is where he'll pour out his heart and his priestly prayer in John chapter 17. But again, why all the secrecy? Like why all the mystery and intrigue? Why not just say to the disciples, hey, we're going to meet at Richie's house. He's on Route 3, just past the prison on the right. We'll meet there at 5 p.m., They got a room ready for us. Why not just do that? Because Jesus knows better. Because Jesus had a plan. Because he knew that Judas would know then ahead of time where to send the religious leaders. Plus, John chapter 11 verse 57 tells us that the chief priests and the Pharisees had already put out an APB on Jesus. Like they're already telling everyone, be on the lookout for Jesus so that with the leaders searching... And with Judas looking for an opportunity to snatch Jesus, he had to be creative. 
And let's keep on reading in verse 16. It says, the disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. So this entire cloak and dagger thing, it went off without a hitch, just exactly as Jesus had planned. And the rest of the disciples, they left later on from Bethany. And they traveled to Jerusalem and they found the room prepared for them. So apparently, they didn't know where they were going either. And they just followed Jesus into Jerusalem and to the place where they were supposed to be. And by the time they got there, Judas couldn't leave and report where they were. or He would be exposed right then as the traitor. And so Jesus covered every detail. And now they're all in the upper room. So everything happened the way it was planned. They followed Jughead. They followed him to the house. The teacher, they said, I need to go to the place where the teacher is. They takes him to the upper room. And now they're all in the upper room. And here's what happens next. Jesus announces that there's a traitor in our midst. They're having the meal. They're gathered around. And, and there was a ritual that they would follow for the Passover meal. And you would do certain things and eat certain things in order. And you would drink certain cups. There was four cups of wine and water that you would drink in order. And, and there was a space in the middle where they would have like a free meal, just a free time to eat. Uh, and, and so in this moment, Jesus says, hey, y'all, there is a traitor in our midst. And I want you to imagine uh, it was be, it would be kind of like uh, you were married to a loving spouse, but after three years of being married to them, you find out uh, uh, you're told that they certainly that they've been unfaithful every year for the past three years to you, and that would like break your heart. That would crush you, and that's the the feeling that the twelve are experiencing in this moment, and it's so significant this moment where Jesus says, "Hey." There's a traitor in our midst that every one of the gospel describes it this way. And every one of them describe it the same way. In verse 17, it says this. It says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. And while they were reclining at the table eating, and again, they're having the Passover meal. And as they're eating, Jesus rocks their world with what he says in the second half of the verse. He says, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with you, with me. And I can promise you this, that none of the disciples saw this coming. Like, they didn't know. They're like, we came for the Passover meal. We came, and Jesus is acting a little weird already. He's a little, little down on himself right now. Something's about to take place, but they didn't expect this to happen. I mean, Jesus, he's predicted his own death, but he has not identified a betrayer from their own inner circle. And it was horrible. Especially when he said these words, one is eating, one who is eating with me. Because back in this culture, in Jesus' culture, eating with people was this deep social event. Like they took eating with people uh, seriously. Like you weren't invited to the table unless there was a deep connection with one another. And it symbolized, it really did symbolize harmony and unity and community. Like it was, it, it was just a, a deep, meaningful thing when you were invited to someone's table. And so to have a traitor eating amongst them, it really was known as the worst kind of betrayal. Like there couldn't be a worse backstabbing event than the person that was going to betray you was sitting down and having a meal with you. And the disciples, they're shocked. And they suspected no one, especially not Judas. And they were horrified. And here's what happens in verse 19. It says, they were saddened. And I don't even think the word saddened gives it 
enough uh, own it. Like it, it, it's not it's not the right word. They were they were they were grieved, deeply grieved. And one by one, they said to Jesus, "Surely you don't mean me, right?" They're like, "Jesus, you don't mean me." And they went around the table, not me. It couldn't be me. And even Judas mouthed the words, "Surely Jesus, you don't mean me." And so Judas has fooled everyone except Jesus. And all Jesus had to do in that moment, like all Jesus had to do was point at Judas and shout traitor. And I can just see Peter jumping over the table and putting him in a chokehold within seconds. Like I see it happening. But because Jesus doesn't identify the traitor, they are grieved and say to Jesus one by one, surely, Lord, you don't mean me. And Jesus responds in verse 20 and says, it is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. And they're probably thinking, well, thanks a lot, Jesus. Like that helps me out. Like we're all dipping into the bowl with you. But there's more to the story. Like there's more to the relationship between Jesus and Judas. And despite Judas's betrayal, if you don't, if you don't pay attention, you miss it. Jesus continues to reach out to him, even through the night that he knows that Judas is going to betray him. Jesus continues to reach out to Judas. When he washed the disciples' feet, he didn't skip over Judas. He washed his feet just like he did the others. Even the seating arrangements demonstrated Jesus' love because he had given Judas the honored seat at his left and a perfect opportunity for Judas to repent. All Judas would have to do is lean over to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking. And then also, Jesus reaches out to Judas at the very end. In John's account of the story, in John chapter 13, verse 23, Peter asked John to ask Jesus who the betrayer was. And John was on the other side of Jesus, so Judas is on one side, and John is on the other side. And, and so John just w leans over and whispers, who is it, Jesus? Like, who's the one that betrayed you? And Jesus answers him and says, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread to, whom I have dipped into the dish. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gives it to Judas. And you probably don't know this, but, but that was an act of love. Again, the table was so significant in, in this culture and people gathered around the table. Who was around the table was important, but what happened at the table was equally as important. And in that culture, to take a morsel of any food and to take it from the table and to dip it into this common bowl that everyone shared and offer it to another was a gesture of friendship. It was saying, I'm so glad you're my friend. I'm so grateful that you are with me. And Jesus was reaching out to Judas one more time. In effect, he's saying as he dips the morsel of whatever food he had, maybe it was a piece of lamb, maybe it was a piece of bread, he dips it into the common bowl and he hands it to Judas and it's as if he was saying, Judas, here is my friendship and my forgiveness. I'm offering this to you. All you have to do is take it. Will you just take it and receive it? But Judas, he took the bread or he took the food and without repentance and went on with his act of betrayal. 
John 13, 28 tells us that after the morsel, after he ate the piece of bread, Satan then entered into him. And then Jesus said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. And then we see in verse 21 of Mark, it says, the son of man will go just as it is written about him. That's important. The son of man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So this passage reminds us of this, that God is large and in charge, and all of this will happen just as it is written. And that's a huge deal. And I love this because Jesus reminds everyone in the room that this is all in the scripture. He's like, I don't know why y'all are shocked. Like this has been written long before I was born, long before everything happened in Bethlehem. The scriptures have been pointing to me. And Jesus reminds everyone in the room that the Bible is, has already told you what will happen to me in detail. And I love this because maybe we should pay more attention to the Bible too. Maybe we should pay attention to and be reminded that Jesus has died on the cross, he's rose from the dead, but he's promised to come back again. Maybe we should pay more attention to the Bible just like the disciples maybe should have paid more attention. So what is this passage What does it have to do with us today? Like, yes, it's a story of betrayal. Yes, it's a story of how Jesus ended up on the cross, but what does it have to do with us today? I think the first thing that it reminds us of is this, that Judas wasted an opportunity. He wasted an opportunity, and I wonder how many of us waste opportunities too, because the saddest part about Judas was that he was one of the 12 He was one of the inner circle. For three years, he lived with Jesus. He saw uh, Jesus' truth. He saw his beauty. He saw his power. He saw his wisdom every day. And yet, he turned out a traitor. The man with the greatest privilege and the weightiest opportunity, and yet he committed this uh, this heinous crime. You see, Judas is the greatest example of a wasted opportunity. And I wonder what privileges and what opportunities has God given you and that you have wasted? What opportunities have come your way that we have wasted away? The second thing I think is important for us in this passage is to ask ourselves this question. Do we daily treasure the cross? Do we daily treasure the cross? Because the death And the resurrection of Jesus have always been the focal point of Christianity. It's always been at the center of why we do what we do. If there wasn't a death and resurrection, we wouldn't be here today. And so I wonder, are you daily remembering his love for you? Do you wake up in the morning saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the dead on my behalf? Do we daily treasure the cross? Because Do we daily ask that God would become a a man? Have you thought about this, that God became a man and he died for us and he conquered death? I feel like that needs to be on our heart every day. And so I'm asking you, are you treasuring the cross daily? The third thing I think that we can take away from this passage is this. Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? It doesn't matter what what Judas did. It doesn't matter what the religious folk did or the Romans did. No, it was God who moved Jesus to the cross. Jesus had a purpose for his life, and you have a purpose for your life as well. He was large and in charge then, and God is large and in charge today, and he has a plan. So let me just remind you of this, that no matter what people say or do, God's will will be done in your life. And don't think for a moment that whoever or whatever is against you, hurting you, or causing you to stumble, or causing you pain is not under the hand of God. And I would say trust God with the little things and trust God with all things because God has a purpose for your life. I'm super excited about what's happening at the end of, the, of April. Actually, starting the week after Easter, we're starting a new sermon series called Life on Purpose. And that series is going to help us to discover God's purpose for our lives. And then on April 28th and 29th, we're having the Kazone experience. And you might be thinking, what is that? It's a two-day retreat, Friday night for a couple hours, and then Saturday from 9 to 2, where we're going to discover God's purpose for our own individual lives. And at the end of the weekend, you're going to walk away with a purpose statement for your life. And not only are you going to walk away with a purpose statement for your life, but you're going to walk away knowing how to take the things that God has gifted you with, your past experiences, your gifts and your core values, how do you take those things and use them for God's glory in everyday life? So I hope that you will mark off April 28th and 29th and join us for the Kazone experience. Because listen, God has a plan for your life. And I hope you believe that. And I want you to discover what that plan is. If you're still not sure, I want you to discover how God has uniquely wired you to bring glory to him every single day. And the final thing that I think that we'll learn, that we learn from this passage is this. Will you turn to Jesus? Like maybe you're here today and maybe you're like, man, I I get Judas. Like I betrayed Jesus. I've walked away from Jesus. I have left him in the dust. I've never even experienced Jesus. And just like Jesus gave Judas every opportunity to turn to him for salvation, Jesus gives you the same opportunity. So I just want to ask you, do you connect with Judas? Are Are you betraying Jesus every day like him? Or on this day, will you carry out, cry out for mercy and turn from your sin and depend on Jesus alone. You see, Judas, the sad thing about Judas is he never turned to Jesus. It says, the scriptures tell us that he betrayed him. And then when he got the money, he felt so overwhelmed in grief and shame. He threw the money back and he went and he took his own life. But Jesus reached out to him multiple times, never giving up on him, always giving him an opportunity to repent of his sin and to come back. And let me just tell you that Jesus does the very same thing for every single one of us in here. 
So maybe you feel like you've betrayed Jesus. Maybe you feel like you've turned your back on him, that you have stabbed him in the back for greed or power or for whatever reason. Listen, Jesus is at the table with you. He is dipping the bread into the bowl and he is reaching out his hand and he is saying, will you receive my friendship and my forgiveness? Just take and receive what I have for you. I hope you will do that today. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for for your mercy and your grace for your forgiveness and your friendship. Lord, so often we betray you with our sin. We betray you with our pride. We betray you with our greed. We betray you with our unforgiveness. We betray you so often, Lord. And yet every time you reach out and you offer your friendship offer your forgiveness time and time again. So Lord, if there are those of us in here this morning that have betrayed you and they feel that betrayal right now, Lord, may they just sense your arm extending out to them, offering you your friendship and your forgiveness again today. Lord, if there's someone in this room that has never, ever received your friendship or your forgiveness, that today would be the day that they would say, yes, Lord, I have lived my life without you for so long, but today I receive your friendship. I receive your forgiveness. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior to be the one that sets me free from my sin, to be the one who gives me hope and purpose in this life. Yes, Lord, I receive you. Father, thank you so much for the story of Judas. It's it's an ugly story. It's a story that so many of us can connect with. Father, I pray that restoration would be happening in the hearts of people right now as they receive your friendship and your forgiveness once again. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us. Amen. So, hey, as we stand and sing our closing song, which is called New Wine, this amazing song of how Jesus takes and transforms us and turns us into something new, And maybe you're like, you know what? I reached out and I took a hold of that friendship and that forgiveness. I just want to invite you to come forward. Spend time in prayer. Invite God to come and be a big, huge part of your life. Invite God to lead you. Be the center of your life. Invite him to equip you and empower you to live the Christian life. Maybe you want to come and pray for the people that you're going to invite to Easter. And you just want to pray that God would soften their hearts and provide an opportunity. Whatever you want to come, you come and spend time in prayer as we sing this song. Let's stand together and sing.